Hello, and welcome to the final report on January 6th, a reading. I am your host, Robert Keniston. This is episode 8. In this episode, we'll continue chapter 2 and continue learning about Trump's quest to just find 11,780 votes. Continuing to read this portion of the report is James Babin. So, without further ado, let's continue. An Outright Request for Victory Beyond asking state officials to not certify, to decertify, or to appoint Trump electors for consideration during the joint session, President Trump and some of his closest advisors inserted themselves directly into the counting of ballots and asked outright for enough votes to win. White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows did this. Not only did he place calls on behalf of the president to election officials in Georgia, Meadows traveled there to personally visit election officials and volunteers, coordinated with members of Congress, and even suggested that the president send election workers Trump memorabilia like presidential challenge coins and autographed MAGA hat, a suggestion that his assistant, Cassidy Hutchinson, thought could be problematic and ultimately did not act on. When Meadows made a visit on short notice to examine the audit of absentee ballots in Cobb County, Georgia, he spoke to Deputy Secretary of State Jordan Fuchs and Francis Watson, the Secretary of State's chief investigator. Ultimately, Meadows connected Watson with the president, who claimed that he had won the election and pressed her to say that he had won. The select committee obtained a copy of their recorded call, which is detailed below. The president told Watson that he had won Georgia by a lot, told her You have the most important job in the country right now, and suggested, when the right answer comes out, you'll be praised. Four days later, Meadows texted Deputy Secretary of State Fuchs, in which he asked, is there a way to speed up Fulton County signature verification in order to have results before January 6th, if the Trump campaign assists financially. Fuchs wrote in response that she will answer ASAP. Meadows also played a central role in the lead up to the president's January 2nd, 2021 call with Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. In fact, it was Meadows who originally sent text messages to Raffensperger and requested to speak. On November 19th, he texted, Mr. Secretary, Mark Meadows here. If you could give me a brief call at your convenience. Thank you. And on December 5th, Meadows texted, Mr. Secretary, 
Can you call the White House switchboard at, he gave the phone number, for a call. Your voicemail is full. Then, on December 11th, Meadows texted, thanks so much, to a number that apparently belongs to United States Representative Jody Heiss, Republican from Georgia, after Representative Heiss told him that he had just made a statement regarding a recall on Raffensperger, if this is something POTUS wants to know and help push. All of that led to the remarkable January 2nd call between President Trump and his advisors on one side and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and his advisors on the other. By January 2nd, the president had tried to speak by phone with Raffensperger at least 18 times. Raffensperger, for his part, had avoided talking to the president because of ongoing litigation with the president's campaign. Despite Raffensperger's reluctance, the two spoke with their respective lawyers on the line. During the call, President Trump went through his litany of false election fraud claims and then asked Raffensperger to deliver him a second term by finding just enough votes to ensure victory. The president said, I just want to find 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. He reiterated it several different ways. Fellas, I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. You know we have that in spades already. Or we can keep going. But that's not fair to the voters of Georgia because they're going to see what happened. When it was clear that Raffensperger and his advisors would not agree to the president's request, the president ramped up the pressure by accusing them of committing crimes. The ballots are corrupt, and you are going to find that they are, which is totally illegal. It is more illegal for you than it is for them because, you know, what they did and you're not reporting it that's a criminal. That's a criminal offense, and you can't let that happen. That's a big risk to you and to Ryan, your lawyer. I'm notifying you that you're letting it happen. The president would stop at nothing to win Georgia. Separate from asking Raffensperger to alter, without justification, the election results in Georgia, he also attacked election workers. In that call, President Trump mentioned Ruby Freeman's name 18 times, referred to her daughter, Shea Moss, several of those times, and accused them of crimes. Raffensperger and his aides rebutted President Trump's false claims of fraud on the call and explained why they were wrong, but they did not deliver the one thing President Trump wanted most, the 11,780 votes he asked for. The next day, 
President Trump tweeted about his phone call with Raffensperger, falsely claiming that Secretary Raffensperger was unwilling or unable to answer questions such as the ballots under table scam, he has no clue. He added that Raffensperger, Governor Kemp, and Lieutenant Governor Duncan are a disgrace and have done less than nothing about rampant political corruption. Even though Raffensperger and his team repeatedly told the president why his specific allegations of election fraud in Georgia were wrong, President Trump met the next day with the top leadership of the Justice Department in an effort to convince them to send a letter falsely claiming that the department had identified significant concerns affecting the election results in Georgia and calling on Governor Kemp, Speaker Ralston, and Senate President Pro Tempore Miller to convene a special session. It was only after a showdown in the Oval Office, described in Chapter 4, during which the White House counsel and others threatened to resign that President Trump decided against replacing Department of Justice leadership and issuing that letter. 2.5. Some officials eagerly assisted President Trump with his plans. While many state officials resisted President Trump's demands, some eagerly joined the president's efforts. President Trump routinely coordinated with Pennsylvania State Senator Doug Mastriano, whose request led to the November 25, 2020 hotel hearing in Gettysburg, and who traveled to Washington to meet with the president afterward. Senator Mastriano, who would later charter and pay for buses to Washington for the president, stopped the steel rally on January 6 and was near the Capitol during the attack, quickly rose to favor with the president. On November 30th, President Trump called Mastriano, interrupting him during a radio interview and telling listeners that Doug is the absolute hero, and people are really angry in Pennsylvania. On December 5th, Senator Mastriano sent an email to President Trump's executive assistant, Molly Michael, with a Supreme Court amicus brief for the president that the pair discussed yesterday related to a case brought by Representative Mike Kelly Republican of Pennsylvania, against his own state, which the Supreme Court rejected just a few days later. On December 14th, President Trump's executive assistant sent Mastriano an email from POTUS with talking points promoting a conspiracy theory about election machines. And on December 21st, Mastriano sent another email for President Trump in which he wrote, Dear Mr. President, Attached, please find the killer letter 
on the Pennsylvania election that we discussed last night that I only just completed. This letter recapped the Gettysburg Hotel hearing on November 25th and claimed that there is rampant fraud in Pennsylvania that must be investigated, remedied, and rectified. President Trump sent that letter to John Eastman, Acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen, Acting Deputy Attorney General Richard Donahue, Rush Limbaugh, former Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi, Lou Dobbs, and others. As January 6th approached, Senator Mastriano's involvement in attempts to overturn the election only grew. On December 23rd, he led a second group of Pennsylvania state senators for a meeting with President Trump in the Oval Office, which Giuliani claimed swayed about 20 of them. Neither Speaker Cutler nor Senate President Corman participated. Mastriano also sent emails indicating that he spoke with President Trump on December 27th, 28th, and 30th, along with files that President Trump had requested or that he had promised to him. One of these was a pair of letters from state senators asking U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy to reject Pennsylvania's electoral votes on January 6th. President Trump's executive assistant notified the White House's Director of Legislative Affairs that the president would like the below-attached letters to be sent to Mitch and Kevin and all GOP House and Senate members, but was told in reply, given the political nature of the letters, would you mind sending them? On January 5th, President Trump spoke again with Mastriano and then notified the White House operator that Mastriano will be calling in for the vice president soon. That evening, Senator Mastriano sent two more emails for the president. One was a letter addressed to Vice President Pence on behalf of nearly 100 legislators from various states. The other was a letter directed to McConnell and McCarthy from Pennsylvania lawmakers, this time asking Congress to postpone acting on the 6th. President Trump tweeted the letter that night, captioning it, Big News in Pennsylvania. And after midnight, he retweeted that Pennsylvania is going to Trump. The legislators have spoken. As described elsewhere in this report, that letter and letters like it were used in the effort to convince Vice President Pence that he could and should affect the outcome of the joint session of Congress on January 6th. The select committee subpoenaed Senator Mastriano to testify about these interactions with President Trump and his advisors, among other matters. 
Unlike numerous other witnesses who complied with subpoenas and provided deposition testimony to the select committee, Mastriano did not. He logged in to a virtual deposition at the appointed time, but logged out before answering any substantive questions or even taking the oath to tell the truth. The president apparently got what he wanted in state officials like Senator Mastriano, but not those who dared question or outright reject his anti-democratic efforts to overturn the election. In some cases, those who questioned him made the president and his advisors dig in and push harder. On January 1st, campaign senior advisor Jason Miller asked for a blast text and Twitter blast out that would urge President Trump's supporters to contact House Speaker Brian Cutler and Senate President Pro Temp Jake Corman to demand a vote on certification. Senior campaign attorneys, however, replied that this might violate Pennsylvania's very stringent lobbying laws and get them prosecuted or fined. Instead, they agreed on a similar call to action aimed at Arizona Governor Doug Ducey and Arizona House Speaker Rusty Bowers rather than Speaker Cutler and President Pro Tempore Corman in Pennsylvania. This podcast has been a production of 2008 Studios under a contract with SAG-AFTRA. Casting support services has been provided by Breakdown Services. The recordings herein are property of 2008 LLC. Any inquiries to collaborate or contact can be sent to info at 2008.com. That's info at 20-08.com. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please feel free to share this podcast. And of course, please subscribe to be updated on future episodes. Thank you for listening.